Welcome to the Control the Room podcast, a series devoted to the exploration of meeting culture and uncovering cures for the common meeting. Some meetings have tight control and others are loose. To control the room means achieving outcomes while striking a balance between imposing and removing structure, asserting and distributing power, leaning in and leaning out, all in the service of having a truly magical meeting. This episode is brought to you by Mural, a digital workspace for visual collaboration. At Voltage Control, we use Mural to facilitate engaging and productive meetings and workshops from anywhere. Mural gives teams the means, methods, and freedom to collaborate visually. Use their suite of facilitation superpowers to control the virtual room and solve tough problems as a team with their pre-built templates and guided methods. To see for yourself why companies like IBM, Atlassian, and E-Trade rely on Mural, start your 30-day trial at mural.co. That's M-U-R-A-L dot C-O. Today, I'm with Keith McCandless, creator of Liberating Structures and co-author of the book, The Surprising Power of Liberating Structures, Simple Rules to Unleash a Culture of Innovation. Welcome to the show, Keith. Thanks, Douglas. Uh, Really thrilled to be here. So... Just so our listeners have a little bit of context, I'm really curious to hear how you got started and you know found yourself in the position to create liberating structures, write the book, and become the you know the powerhouse in the facilitation world that you are today. Hmm. Well, maybe there were. I think it's born out of curiosity. So my start in every position that led up to uh, curating uh, rather than creating, I, I think I've uh, helped to curate the liberating structures, uh, was a, a research or an education a responsibility, a, a job where I was helping people learn uh, and research what could move things forward, uh, what could help them primarily in the health care space, uh, health care domain. Uh, and uh, that involved strategy and policy and, and then um, a research and education foundation that I helped start and was an executive director of. And through all those uh, multiple positions and then that, trying to run an organization myself, uh, a small foundation, uh, searching for methodologies. I've always loved, like, how do you do things? Uh, very, very tool or method-oriented person. Uh, and uh, getting there, I, I think the accomplishments or the path toward it was uh, always kindling, always maintaining that curiosity about What is it that helps people uh, shape their future uh, strategically uh, with others? And so uh, from that foundation job up here in Seattle, I live in Seattle, I took a position at a sort of applied research think tank down in uh, San Francisco and was the person who organized learning groups and again, uh, deepening strategy, and at some point bumped into 
you know, a new theory, complexity science, or a, a, a new type of science mm. that uh, opened my mind to uh, very different approaches. So I think it's that if there was any one thing, it's following a thread, following a hunch from the very first, uh, the very first position I had and an interest in, in strategy and uh, shaping the future. So Douglas, how's that for a, for a start? Yeah. So great. Um, and it, it reminds me of, um, as you talk about complexity and this notion of emergent phenomenon, and I know one of the tenets of liberating structures that I'm super fond of is distribution of control. And I remember at the first Control the Room conference, you and I were speaking off to the side and we were discussing the importance of distribution of control and power. And you were pointing out that our keynote speaker, Priya Parker, was such a, an amazing facilitator and her ability just to captivate the room. And your point was that the liberating structures can, can distribute that power without having to have that amazing personality involved. There are a few people that I don't want to liberate, uh, you know, that, that don't need to distribute. I mean, they're, they speak directly to your complex mind and your, your experience, and they help you uh, connect parts of yourself to the situation. And, and Priya is one of those people where, uh, you know, she's so good at that, that there's no... Uh, she could, you know, anyone can learn how to distribute control. It's never easy. I mean, I love control. If if control could get me to great results in all the settings in which I work, I would use it. I just couldn't get great results by holding the uh, certain types of control. Now, you and I both know that liberating structures, you do control some very small, minimal uh, things like group size and how long, you know, there's fast cycles and you, you control a small number of things tightly, but subject matter and the direction that the people go to shape what they're going to do next is not in your control at all. And if it is, you're screwing up. So, you know, it isn't as if uh, we're redefining what's important to control. And it turns out, uh, it's a small number of fairly what could seem trivial things that make a big difference. Yeah, and I think it's the that notion that it seems trivial is why so many people mess it up, right? They they focus on controlling the wrong things, <laughs> and there are these simple things that if they just paid attention to and got really specific about, it could un unleash so much. Yeah, practice makes perfect. So... Uh, You've been in some of the, you know, you're a user and it, it, you know that you get better over time um, at making a, a really good invitation. And a good invitation has many right answers. You know, many options start to emerge if you have a good uh, invitation. Uh, you get a sense of how quickly how smart people are together and how quickly you can move from a self-reflection to work in a pair to a group of four and then generate something that's the whole group should hear. And that the practicing that, that cadence, which seems like it wouldn't make that much difference. Uh, 
uh, makes you uh, better and better and better quickly. And, uh, you know, you appear to be a magician or, you know, you have some special powers as a facilitator or a leader. Uh, and you're, you're just, you know, you're paying attention to these, uh, my, we call micro-organizing uh, design elements uh, that, that are, are pretty straightforward, but it's easy to, it's easy to mess them up a little bit or think, uh, focus on something else. Uh, it's very easy to do that. Yeah. And so, you know, I, I, thinking back to the last time we had a, a really lengthy conversation and it was right before the pandemic really hit the U S and I living in Austin, South by Southwest is an annual event and a big deal. And we were all watching it closely because all the conferences, all the big conferences in Europe were just starting to close and shut down. But South by was still planning to go ahead as planned and uh, we were invited to to facilitate a workshop to explore wh what does it mean to attend a big conference in the face of a pandemic. And so you were really instrumental in helping me think about how to how to you know walk into that conversation with eyes wide open and and support support that dialogue. Uh, well, it, I appreciated having a chance to chat with you about it because uh, it what. It is a. It was a monumental uh, uh, moment in time. I guess mon monumental and moment have some relationship in the language, but uh, uh, we're still figuring that out. Uh, seven months later, eight months later, we're still figuring out how to uh, exercise precautions in any size group really, but, uh, you know, we're kids are going back to school. Uh, and when, what we talked about, I thought was, uh, practical and, and interesting. And, uh, we still haven't resolved a lot of it. And, uh, the kinds of things we were discussing was how could people practice, uh, precautions? How could they learn how to do that? How, uh, how could we prototype behaviors uh, and respond to unsafe uh, uh, behaviors in a, a setting like South by Southwest? And uh, we're still there. You know, how do we support each other? How do we, you know, when we see somebody who's uh, uh, has their mask down and coughs and doesn't cough into their elbow, um, how do we respond to that? And there's a whole series, uh, what I learned from doing work in infection control, uh, mostly methos, uh, MRSA, methasone, uh, uh, anyway, uh, other infectious diseases, is that uh, some people uh, have behaviors that are very safe and they do things differently. And somehow we have to uncover, well, how do you safely go to a, a, a large event? Is there a way to do that? Who, who is figuring that out? And the, the basic rules that we can learn about uh, clean surfaces, uh, try to stay in ventilated areas, uh, wear a mask. You know, once you've learned those things, that's all that the science has to offer. Everything else is our creative adaptation to the situations we face locally. 
So when, you know, when you were interested, like, how could we help people think through South by Southwest if we, if we go forward? It's like, well, what more creative group of people could there be mm. on the planet than the South by Southwest group, you know, organizers in Austin? So that, that's why I got a big smile and was so happy to chat with you about that. And it, I, the thing that really stood out to me as we did that, and uh, I got watched the improv prototyping unfold, it it became clear to me that it's not only the tapping into the creative abilities to come up with new solutions, but it's about creating muscle memory about these ways that we might want to behave when the moment strikes, because it can be very daunting to respond to something when you're not prepared or haven't thought about it. So if you've already done that creative work ahead of time and, you know, practiced it a bit, then it can be much easier to, to do those things when you encounter them. It's still, it's, it's, uh, some of it's awkward. Uh, it's awkward the first time you do it. Uh, mm -hmm. You know, how do you, uh, you know, did you notice your mask is askew? <laughs> is that a good, a good way to say it? Even just thinking it out loud. So practicing those things uh, and uh, finding in a, in a large group, any size group, if you're on Zoom or whatever it is, you, you, you can uh, prototype a behavior and a conversation um, that would help people and uh, start to discover ways to interact that are really safe and all the settings in which they're working. So I don't know in companies, I've done it a little bit. I've recently uh, been working with uh, residential communities, um, uh, older people who are being taken care of in, in residential homes. And there's a, a business that has a, a 40 or 50 of them across the South. And so we, we're working on those, finding those behaviors that solve the problem. Um, and the, we used a wicked question, Douglas, I think you'll be interested in this. We used a wicked question to frame it. Like, uh, how is it that we're uh, as safe as possible? You know, we're, we're creating for our residents, we're creating as much safety and it will increase over time, even as we are drawing out all the vitality and joy possible for our residents. Mm. And so the, the two opposite or in creative tension or paradoxical elements are, are that joy and vitality and uh, safety, which seemingly how, if you're locked in your room most of the time, which, you know, it's, it's uh, isolation is for real and it's a, one pretty safe way to do it. At simultaneously, how do you work with all the precautions and the isolation and, and draw out the joy and vitality in the lives of people who are um, in these communities. And that focus made it possible for every function within this business, um, you know, the dining staff, the uh, engagement, the physical plant uh, folks, the even accounting, uh, the technology people, everyone was focused on how do we get more of both of those in our, in our business. And it was, it's a business strategy, right? It's not just a, it's the wicked question shapes if we're going to be successful in the future and people want to have their parents or their, 
you know, you choose, if you're older, you choose to go to one of these communities. It's, it may very well be the hunch that we're working with. Uh, it may very well be about, well, how vital, how, how joyful, it, and, and simultaneously, how safe is this place that I'm going to live? Um, and so that it's a, we're in a moment in time in which uh, wicked questions can make a big difference, can help sharpen our observation, sharpen our strategy, make our businesses or, or our work more effective. And so when we first did the South by Southwest thinking, I'm still working on that. There's no, there's no end in sight to helping people organize safely uh, and be successful at the same time. Yeah, and you know it's also a time that uh, we you know we spoke about it requiring. There's just deeper consequences right now to a lot of things, and there's we're not only dealing with a pandemic, but you know there are there are social issues at hand and and just lots of layered things. And we were discussing earlier about this notion of connection and then lack of access. And an isolation. So, you know, how can we be connected and isolated at the same time? And I'm not that isolation's a goal, but it is a it is a situation we're in and we're having to live through that. And I was really just struck by your your points around just having to even rethink collaboration partners in this time of reevaluating our privilege. Deep sigh. Uh yeah, so uh, I, I'm feeling it. I think you're feeling it because of our privileged uh, positions. Where uh, I have, I think you have uh, an opportunity to connect with, be very connected with more people. And uh, it's been a bit of a surprise, but that that kind of connection comes through technology. Um, the depth of relationship uh, possible with the technologies maybe I took them a little bit for granted before uh, but now I see I'm, I'm more connected than ever and I'm really deepening you know extending relationships and deepening them and being able to do things that I, I wasn't sure were possible with clients and uh, colleagues uh, and this is while I'm acutely aware of people who are isolated or blocked from access to the technology that are, um, you know, uh, falling out of relationship with a diverse set of other people um, and can't find a way to uh, connect. So that isolation that the, in this moment, it, it's a, I'm feeling it acutely, and I've noticed it in other people too. That uh, uh, some people are very connected and and deepening their relationships, and others are isolated and falling out of relationships with with others. And that's that's a wicked question. So how how is it that I'm uh, can use my connection and the the deepening of my relationships with others, even as uh, I'm working or attending to uh, those that don't have access and uh, are blocked from, are isolated from others. So I'm just trying to broaden my own reaching out more, broaden my own uh, network of people I work with, um, address issues that are really hard 
and I maybe you have clients like this too, but uh, you know we're having business problems. We need to rebuild our market. We want to address racial and social equity in how we operate. And um, uh, the pandemic has thrown our, uh, we don't even know how to get any work done right now. And we need to learn really how to use these technologies, uh, online and virtual technologies to get things done. And so all of that's happening at the same same time. And uh, it's a good challenge. I really enjoy it. I'm imagining you're enjoying it too. In some way, you're finding the challenge to be uh, good for you. Is, is that true, Douglas? Yeah, you know, I, I'm, I'm there with you. You know, there's, there's moments where I have to echo that big sigh and, and just acknowledge the, 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 the weight of the situation. But um, I've always been one to walk straight into a challenge and, and see it as a massive opportunity. And whether I, I know that about you. It's, so, <laughs> it's pretty obvious to anyone who bumps into you, but uh, yeah. But that being said, it's, there's, a lot of, there's a lot of weight to this, you know? And even though I see it as like, we can fix this, it's like people are suffering. And, um, and I don't always have the time to invest that I'd like you know, like I feel like there's so much more I could do, but um, just dealing with like trying to, you know, keep my own sanity, <laughs> there are things I have to consider, and so so it's a it's a big struggle. That's a wicked question in itself. Like, how can I take care of myself while also being a great ally? Yeah, it's uh, yeah. Keep that in your mind and try to act on both uh, being a great ally and take care of yourself. And I know we're working together on something that's a little bit for everyone, but also selfishly for ourselves, take care of ourselves. So it's the, the grief walking, um, mm -hmm. a liberating structure that has been in development a while, but we're trying to make it virtually accessible. And uh, there's quite a bit, uh, the reason I'm excited about it is we we need to tap social support in regard to losses to take care of ourselves. How do we work with loss? Um, and uh, so, as much as I'm, I want to help make that liberating structure reliable for the community to use to tap social support to address loss. Um, I'm also doing it for myself. I mean, I've got, I need uh, a way to work with loss in my life um, and just handle the, all of the things going on. So I really appreciate your allyship uh, on the grief walking because uh, it's, it's an important uh, a potential new liberating structure. I'm not sure it's going to make it into the repertoire, but it's, it's definitely worth prototyping. Yeah, I, you know, from the, from the get go, I thought the, I think I first heard about this from Fisher about a year ago, and I thought the the, the turn taking, and the cadence of, of how you move people through the space and through the content was really fascinating, because I thought that was unique in itself, and giving those people the opportunities to kind of follow those that they might want to go deeper with. Kind of was a less arbitrary way of splitting people into groups. Yeah, yeah. It well, it's uh, 
So that's an example of something where uh, I think the it's uh, grief walking, the importance of it, or helping people work with loss. Uh, it's the right time to work on that. And I, I, I think it wasn't prioritized before the pandemic. So one thing that made it clear to me that I needed to work on that again, uh, one of the clients starts their big, uh, got invited to a series of their meetings and um, they start their, it's a business that's a health, health and um Anyway, they start their meetings. I thought it was going to be a prayer. I didn't know the client very well, and I thought maybe they'd start with a prayer because some organizations do that kind of thing. But they started with statistics around uh, how many positive COVID tests, mm. um, how many staff and how many uh, customers, uh, residents are uh, sick or have died. And... Um, and then we're going to have, like, immediately following this just set of statistics, we're going to have a, you know, a business meeting. <laughs> and I'm, I'm like, oh, wait a second there. I'm still working on the, what you just said. I can't, I, I can't move on completely before we, we do something uh, about the losses that you just specified. So, again, that's like a little bit of a selfish thing of, uh, there's some liberating structures that I think we need right now uh, that aren't really in the repertoire and, and can make a unique contribution to the to the field. And um, you know, that's on me. It's on you. It's on other people. You know, to to have the courage to try those things. It's it's a big deal, and it's it feels more important to me now because of what we're we're just trying to creatively adapt to this moment, and we're. We're not at the end of a whole bunch of losses that need to be addressed somehow. That's right. And I, I think it's, as we spoke earlier, just a time of re-examining in general, whether it be, you know, uh, looking at how we think about loss, dealing with the loss that we're facing or we just experienced, but even just thinking about how our purpose has shifted or how we need to just walk around in this new new space. And um, we talked about how, well, we talked a bit about wicked questions already, but certainly, you know, there are things like critical uncertainties, eco-cycle, what I need from you, that I think are very poignant right now. Mm -hmm. Yeah, they're my go-to. Uh, they aren't normally where I would start with any client, uh, but now I'm, when I have, I, I try to influence my clients. So they, they pick, they design their own agendas and what they want to learn about or what they want to work with. But I, uh, I do push and pull a little bit and it's pretty easy to, uh, get an eco cycle, uh, of what I need from you, uh, critical uncertainty, which are all, let's re-examine the whole way we've organized, you know, let's go right at the our portfolio, if it's, let's look at our whole portfolio, if it's ecocycle, let's look at all of the interrelationships among the functions and what we need from each other with what I need from you. Um, if it's uh, wicked questions, it's uh, 
we need to face it down. We need to face up to this paradoxical challenge or face it down or, or face up to it and then face it down. And so you take those uh, and critical uncertainties. Wow, we have, if we've learned anything from the pandemic, it's let's not put all of our, put all of our eggs in one basket. So we need to re-examine uh, that we can't predict the future. So critical uncertainties lets you explore different plausible futures. So we have a much sharper understanding of what our next move is. That's not going to overinvest in one scenario or in or in one vision of where we'll end up. Uh, rather, how are we going to operate successfully, whatever future unfolds? So, for me, those were way you know more down the line in the development in my relationship with clients and their development. Uh, usually, it would be things that we would do later. Let's put that off. That's too much for now. No, the choice is no. Now let's do. We need to examine the whole thing in depth now. Uh, so it's been a little overwhelming for me to do the kinds of consulting work I do, which is still mostly what I'm. I do some writing, but uh, mostly I'm doing consulting work, and uh, I just I. It's either a sigh or I'm, uh, you know. Uh, swallowing loudly. I don't know if you probably can't hear it on the recording, but it's like, oh my God, can I do that? Uh, it, it takes some courage to, to uh, from the client and from me to like, let's look at the whole, let's re-examine the whole way we're operating at, and, and how we're going to move forward. So it's, whoo. Yeah, it's interesting, right? Because it's uh, not only are you asking them to re-examine, you're having to re-examine how you approach the facilitation and, and the workshop design because you know you're doing things in a different order because there are different needs and different concerns at the moment. In fact, I I run into this too. I very rarely I'm using structures I've never used before. In fact, I never really used generative relationship star, but. Uh. Um, I found it to be really helpful right now as teams are trying to understand the new d dynamics. In fact, there is a really interesting phenomenon I'm seeing across a lot of companies where they've gone through restructuring because there's downsizing or there's just newness about the organization. Mm -hmm. um, and they're restructured in the midst of remote working for the first time. So they mm -hmm. never had an opportunity to go through this teaming um, they don't. They don't really feel like they even belong in the team because they don't know their identity in the team and who they haven't formed those relationships. And so, exposing some of that in a very kind of formulaic and tool way, I found to be kind of illuminating for folks. Yeah. So Gen Star would be generative relationship star helps there, uh, and just within the, the Zoom or whatever platform is being used. I spend more time on relationship building uh, mm. and uh, particularly across functions. Uh, maybe it was easier before the pandemic to just to operate each function independently. And then the leadership would iron out the difficulties. That doesn't really work that you, you know, it, uh, it's accentuated the degree to which, um, yes. 
it's good to have the different functions know, definitely know what the other functions do, if not have some of the same capabilities. I love the fact that you use the word accentuate because I've been saying for a while now that it's not that remote work has like created new dysfunction. The dysfunction was always there. Mm-hmm. It just like accentuated it, right? It just made it really, really clear that we aren't great at collaborating. Like even though we hold collaboration as a core value, we define collaboration as just talking a bunch. And so now that we try to do that same stuff virtually, it becomes very, very clear that um, that these things are dysfunctional and don't work for us. And so there has to be new ways to approach it. Well, whatever it takes to deepen the relationships. Mm. So uh, one thing I don't know if you've used what I need from you very much, but I was with a client. I'll leave them unnamed. Um, <laughs> but we're doing a big what I need from you and the sort of in your bailiwick, the, the information technology group within a very large, well-known organization. And uh, they're reasonably polite people. And we went through, you know, there's, here's what I need from you, this function to that function. And back and forth, and they all get to ask for something. The thing that they need to be successful uh, strategically in the organization. And uh, we went through, uh, there were seven different functions, and it was a great experience. And the choices are, uh, in response to the requests, are are yes, no, uh, huh, which is, I don't know what even... I'm not, it's not clear what you've just asked me for, what you need your function for us to succeed. And then uh, whatever. And uh, in, there were a whole bunch of, in this particular organization, there were a bunch of huhs, and many of them were actually whatevers, but they were too polite to, to say whatever <laughs> to each other. And I kind of went, I think maybe that was, uh, you know, lovingly, provocatively, both. Uh, you know, I think that may have been a whatever. And they said, well, we can't say whatever. You know, we just can't do that. But you could hear in the tone and in the relationship that that was what, you know, you, you failed to understand our function at all. It was a bit disrespectful what you asked for. And I'm going to give you a, uh-huh, which really means a whatever, as a response to what you asked for. And that's the beginning of a better relationship. I mean, it might be a little harsh, but that's the kind of thing that gets revealed uh, is, uh, is more apparent now in the midst of this pandemic that's um, accentuated by the, the situation we're in. And uh, there's more to fix. We, uh, uh, total job security, Douglas, for you uh, into the future. There's a lot to work on, uh, a lot to work on. So a little bit of a, a shift here because I, want, I wanted to bring up uh, one of my favorite articles that, uh, that happens to be penned by you. It's called Falling Off the Horse. I think there's a lot of wisdom in there that first time and even experienced facilitators should reflect on. And so I was just curious if you just have any, like when I bring that up, what comes to mind as some advice you might have for facilitators out there that are, just trying to stay on the horse. Uh, yeah, well, be kind to yourself. <laughs> uh, recognize that uh, at an in inappropriate moment, you may 
try to uh, uh, control something that that's you can't control and it's not going to help and you have to own uh, own it a bit uh, but in that moment of recognizing that you uh, you've tried to over control you've fallen back into over or under control um, forgive yourself if possible as quickly as possible um, so that could take the shape just to be more specific about it one could be you get to a place where you uh, you don't know what to do. So you say, well, let's just open it up to everybody. You know, anybody that wants to say anything. And that's an invitation to a goat rodeo. And, and you know what a goat rodeo is, but it's a few people are going to uh, get into a little argument over something and it'll go on and on and on and it won't be productive. Uh, but you, as a, the leader, I don't even think of of what we do as facilitator anymore it's just you're leading the group you you had no structure in mind you gave no structure to that other than the goat rodeo which is open discussion usually not productive so forgive yourself that you weren't ready and you you fell into that trap on the other side you can say well it's not going anywhere i need to seize control again and i need to uh, make the decisions for the group uh, and this could take the form of a presentation or or a just a, a decision or you rely on a consultant to come in, swoop in and uh, save everything with a best practice imported from somewhere else. So those are things, uh, they happen. <laughs> uh, you should try to avoid them if you can, if you're serious about this kind of work and um, forgive yourself if you can for it because uh, it's a developmental path where you gain increasing confidence in the group to shape and solve its own problems and shape its own solutions uh, to, and, and you become more and more confident in uh, suggesting simple structures that help the group be, uh, you know, awesomely creative and adaptive. And then you get out of those two there's two ways to fall off the horse on the one side. The, Let's open it up for everyone. Uh, or, uh, you know, now we're not getting anywhere, so I need to intervene with my personal wisdom. Uh, and so that's, that's one version of trying to, trying to address falling off the horse. Because it, it'll happen. It'll happen. Yeah. I love, I personally love this metaphor of leaning in and leaning out. And, you know, you how can you find that balance in the middle? Because if you lean in too much or import those best practices, like you fail, if you lean out too much, then there's the goat rodeo. And, and sometimes you even invite it. Like you're leaning out as a, you lean in in the way that like <laughs> pushes, it allows you to lose every bit of minute control that you want to have. Yeah. Uh. So Keith, I guess in, in, and in a wrap up here, I'd, I'd love to hear from you about where you're seeing hope or just maybe even a recent discovery that's like um, making you curious and, and, and seeing new opportunity. Mm -hmm. oh. Well, the longer term hope and dream, which I hope and believe is possible, uh, is to bring 
the structures out of use for the special meeting or the workshop or the whatever into everyday how we operate. Um, and so I'm more directly, so some things that give me hope uh, that I'm doing, that I'm taking a risk on, I guess, is, is always with clients, uh, uh, start with a, a design group. Uh, a broadly composed, it can be pretty big, small or big, but doesn't really matter. But they're, they're people that are going to take responsibility for co-leading uh, the event that we're planning or the activity. It could be a special thing or we could be integrating into a regular meeting or uh, whatever form it is. Um, I start to distribute uh, control. Uh, leadership, share leadership uh, immediately with a group of people who, who often have zero experience with liberating structures. Um, and the amount of time that it goes from, I don't know what you're talking about, to Keith, get out of the way. I'm, you know, I'm doing this and you aren't doing this, is getting less and less and less. You know, that the, the uh, I've had some really fun experiences where I thought I was going to be leading for longer uh, and I really got uh, shooed to the side. So that is what gives me uh, hope that people can uh, quickly learn the approaches, bring them into their, uh, their events uh, and start to bring them into their everyday work, how they organize everything. Um, and... Uh, so recently, I was working on a digital transformation. I was working on a business trans. Yeah, it seems like everybody's transforming everything, and uh, because of this shakeup, uh, because of the pandemic and all the other things that are going on, um, there's more openness to uh, really looking at everything and and transforming uh, everyday work. Uh, and I can see it. I can feel it. I, uh, the passion of the people involved. And so that transfer from to uh, people right in the midst, right on the front line, um, and their leaders and their formal leaders in the organization, that's what gives me hope. And that's what I believe is possible is these things, uh, the liberating structures transform from methods that you know, you have to learn to, uh, this is just how we operate. This is how we run our organization. Uh, that's the big thing for me. I think that's huge. And, you know, uh, we've been really focused on, on meetings as an evergreen problem, because as I thought about leverage and, and impact in, you know, systemic problems and just like huge global problems that exist everywhere, how can we, with our, tiny abilities in this global scale make a big impact. And I think it's, you know, the fact that everyone spends so much of their time in meetings, if we can address those deficiencies, perhaps we can have huge impact overall. So I love that your, your passion right now is thinking about how, you know, not only for the, the bigger gatherings or the, or the bigger challenges, how can it, how can it imbibe the imbibed in the everyday interactions? Yeah, I, th I see it happen all the time. Um, 
And even more hopeful in some ways is the people that are brave enough to bring it into their personal life. Yes. <laughs> so when people are, you know, using a wicked question or a generative relationship on themselves uh, or on their loved ones. Um, My wife loves it when I what, so what, now what her. Yeah, well, you got to watch. <laughs> you got to be very careful that you're not controlling. It's a good lesson for don't fall off the horse with your family. And they know the moment you're controlling them. People are acutely aware of when uh, they're being over-controlled. And you're not going to get away with that. It's just not going to work. Um, but, uh, yeah, those are things. Uh, I'm infinitely patient on that, that the transformation from uh, these are some special things that you use every so often to is just how you roll and whatever there's one good quality of this work and, and maybe you've I, I imagine you've you're there exactly with me is it it starts to take over more of just how you are or how you see things just by using the methods there doesn't have to be a big philosophy you know there's no manifesto for liberating structures there's just methods that increase your confidence that we can pull this together we can organize differently and we can pull together creative and adaptive responses to any challenge and so that that confidence builds over time and that's the that's a beautiful a beautiful thing worth working working on so keith in closing i'm curious if you have any message or anything to leave our listeners with uh I think the important thing, if you, we've talked about all these, the more complicated liberating structures, just try one on for size if you haven't. Um, simplicity, starting with the simple things is good. Uh, I think rolling up your sleeves, it takes a little courage to, to, to use any liberating structure. Uh, because you're no longer controlling the subject matter. You're no longer controlling what shape uh, the adaptation or the, the sets of decisions. Um, so you've got to be able to let go a little bit and believe that something better will come out of engaging everyone. And, and so that courage to do that only comes through practice. It, it's not like, ta-da, now I get, the, I get it. Uh, so uh, build your repertoire, I think, is the thing I want to say. And if, it, if you don't have one now, uh, start with one, two, four, all. Um, and, and build up toward uh, some of these other ones we've talked about during this podcast uh, that are more elaborate, that look at more of the, the fabric of the organization. And uh, it just, it's increasing doses of courage and uh, uh, practice that makes it possible to really believe that more is possible and uh, and that it's it's it, it'll give you hope it gives me hope it keeps me going through the through the hard time that we're having and that's my message douglas thanks for asking that it took me a second to figure out what my message is right now but I think that's it. Um, yeah, build Excellent. up. 
build up your courage and your repertoire at the same time. Well, Keith, it's been fantastic talking with you today as always. And um, I hope, uh, hope we share a chat again sometime soon. We will, Douglas. Uh, thanks. Thanks again. Thanks for joining me for another episode of Control the Room. Don't forget to subscribe to receive updates when new episodes are released. And if you want more, head over to our blog, where I post weekly articles and resources about working better together. VoltageControl.com